This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Cressa Global. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Paul Graham, Cressa, Gail Chambers, Holmes, Rallery, Horn, Johnson, and John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching. John, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Our first guest is Al Nashavarni, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Motionsoft. Then we'll talk to Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen. Our third guest is Bonnie Sewell, founder of American Capital Planning. And our fourth guest is Heather Nickerson, the CFO of Red 5 Security. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, Al Nashirvani, who is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Motionsoft. Al, what is Motionsoft? What are you guys doing? Motionsoft is a club management company. We work with active lifestyle businesses, provide them with uh, billing and member management solutions. And how large or how small is this company? It's about 138 employees. Uh How'd you get a job with this company? Uh, I founded the company uh, and then acquired the assets of another. Oh, hmm, that sounds pretty sophisticated. Where are you from originally? Originally from uh, Iran. Iran. And how many brothers and sisters? One younger brother. Uh huh. And how young were you when you came to the United States? I was nine years old. Nine years old. Okay. John, will you give us a hand, please? So you moved to the USA at nine years old. Tell us what it felt like to be an outsider as a nine year old in the USA. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Um, it's, I've always felt like an insider in the USA, always felt like I was part of this country, and uh, it was very welcoming from get one, so from day one. why do you think you've never really had that outsider feel? Um, my, uh, my family had, had, had historically been Western educated while, uh, while in Iran, and so I was always exposed to that. I had two aunts who lived here in the D.C. area where uh, we came to. And when was the first time as a child that you helped someone else uh, who might have felt like an outsider? Uh, it was my brother, uh, probably when he was uh, six, seven years old. Um, he uh, this was during the hostage crisis here in the in the in the states, and uh, we uh, I saw him in the um, uh, in the in the restroom with uh, a bunch of kids that were giving him a hard time, uh, and uh, stepped in to help him out. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what do you think? What advice did you give your brother that day? Um, I remember thinking to myself that he should be much more um, in tune with uh, with people, uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that, you know, he was part of this country and, and would be here for a very long time. What uh, what sports did you play growing up? I was a soccer player and a tennis player. And in the green room, we were talking, focusing on soccer. What position did you play? I was a goalkeeper. And how would you say those skills transition to your work today? I think the, the goalkeeper is sort of the general on the field. Uh, it's got a nice purview of everything that's happening in front of him. Uh, and I think that uh, that translates well into leading a company. Mm-hmm. So uh, what type of activities were you involved in as a youth? Um, uh, I was really involved in charity from, from elementary school uh, to and volunteerism uh, through high school and, and then beyond. Um, that was a big part of my, uh, of my youth. So that's somewhat unusual as a youth. Why do you think that you were driven that way? I think the, the, the fact that I came to this country and was so accepted um, – led me to want to help others um, sort of feel that same way. Was there anyone that inspired you to do that? Uh, it's been a big part of my family life. Um, my father and my mother are both uh, uh, very involved in, in charitable work. How do you bring that to your company today? Um, I think servant leadership is a big part of that. Um, you know, making sure that uh, I don't view myself any differently than anyone else, whether it's the front desk or, or head developer or any person. Right, right, right. So you played soccer, and you mentioned that you were the goalkeeper. Why were you the goalkeeper? Did you want that role? I didn't. Um, I, I sort of volunteered for that role. So uh, it, sounds no one like else servant, see, it sounds like the servant leadership stuff again. Am I right about that? Yeah, you are. And how young were you when you were doing that with the soccer stuff? Probably from 11 
years old. It just is in it's just in your core. It sounds like you know, but it's sort of interesting. You're running a business with 138 people, and you feel that way. Do you think that that servant leadership stuff has anything to do with your being able to get to 138 people? I do. I do. I think that generally speaking, if you help others, they help you. Huh. That goes back to Jim's question about you know the volunteer activities, the volunteer activities you're involved with. Paul, what are you thinking? Uh, I was before before we the show. You were telling me a little bit a story about a gentleman named David Fornishari. Uh, can you tell us why you recently reached out to him? Yeah, he was a he was a teacher, a sixth grade teacher, and he had a big impact on on my life. Um, he pushed me to be uh, the best I could be, and I felt like I needed to send him a note once I found out where he was. And how did he receive your call? Um, he sent me a very nice note back and told me to stop by any time to see him. And why, how many years ago? How long has it been since you saw him? Uh, it had been 20 years. And why would you bother doing this? Uh, I think he had a really big impact on my life uh, in a lot of different ways. So you're, you're the kind of guy that likes to stay connected? Very much, yeah. Uh-huh. Paul, what else were you thinking there? I was curious if there's a story there of something that he did to impact you because I've reached out to a teacher previously and there's always something that made me want to say thank you. That was really the reason why I reached out because I wanted to say thank you. Um, Perseverance, I think, is what he taught me. And you're running a business of 138 people and you're a pretty busy guy and you felt like reaching out. That's that's amazing to me. Gail, what are you picking up? So um, how has your cultural background affected you in the business world? You know, the Iranian-American community here in, in the D.C. area, now really everywhere, is a pretty tight-knit one. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, that sense of community translates well into running a, an organization. We're a small community amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you're a small community amongst yourselves. Tell, tell us about uh, the living situation now with your brother, <laughs> your father, and yourself. We're all next-door next door neighbors. Uh, give me that again. Yeah, we, we live next door to each other. <laughs> why, why'd you do that? Uh, I, I don't think we, we purposely uh, came into it thinking we were going to do that. It's just sort of how it all ended up being. Well, why, why, doesn't that feel weird? I think our wives would choose different scenarios, uh-huh. but for us it's worked out well. What, what's that tell us about you? Um, I think family is really important. We've talked about the importance of community. Um, I think that if we're all rowing in the same direction, we can succeed. And now uh, you're running this like high tech, fancy dancy company, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what what what's going on inside this place, and is this company like family to you, and is that is that the kind of feeling there is? I definitely view it that way. Who's well, the you, co-founder with you of MotionSoft? My brother. Oh, okay. Now I understand. I mean, you know, I get this servant leadership stuff. You know, you were the goalkeeper because they wanted you to be the goalkeeper, and. You know, I get this closeness you have with your family, and I get the fact that, you know, you came to the United States, and as opposed to feeling as an outsider from Iran, you sort of felt like, you know, oneness. So I guess, you know, you're really, your part, your middle name's community, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, and it's sort of interesting. It's manifesting in terms of, you don't hear this stuff about the entrepreneur and the CEO. You hear bad stuff in the news, and it's like you're bringing the good stuff to the party. What do you, what do, you do in your spare time? You're, are you married or single? Married. Uh-huh. Do you have any kids? One daughter. How old is she? She is 13. What's the similarity between being a dad and being a CEO? Wow. Um, I mean, being you learn new things every single day. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So is there a similarity between being a dad and being a CEO? Yeah, no, I think there is. I mean, I think you're, you're constantly dealing with um, a changing environment, uh, and you have to make sure that you adapt to it and keep your people happy. Oh, I have another question. Um, at home, who wears the pants in the family? The 13-year-old. Oh, okay. I just <laughs> wanted to know that. I just wanted to get a sense of that. So um, in your spare time, what do you do? Um, I'm involved in uh, lots of charitable activities and, and volunteerism. I continue to be involved in that. My family um, recently developed um, and, and helped fund uh, the Iranian-American Community Center here in, in Virginia. What, what's that all about? It's an organization to sort of preserve uh, Iranian Amer- Iranian heritage uh, for, for our children who don't necessarily get exposed to that. It's a big part, as I mentioned, of the Iranian community, and we hope to continue to um, you know, help manifest it. Uh-huh. How do you do that? Um, there are uh, everything from um, cultural talks, um, you know, celebrations of the different um, uh, Iranian events like the AIDS, um, music, mm-hmm. arts. Mm-hmm. And why do you spend your time? You do, do you uh, donate money to this thing? Yes. Why, why do you do that? 
I think it's important for my daughter to understand where she came from. Uh-huh. Interesting. Who's got the next question? Who's got it? You mentioned that the teacher had taught you about perseverance and that that was important to reach out to them about that. So what in your career, what, uh, where have you had to persevere? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a daily task, right? I mean, uh, the the biggest piece was starting out with two people, very large customers that you had to support, convincing people to come work for you when there are lots of other choices. Particularly in this area, um, we've been able to overcome all of those challenges. Mm-hmm. What's the website address of this organization? Which Motionsoft. Is Motionsoft. Yeah, mm-hmm. Motionsoft.net. Let me have that one more time. Motionsoft.net. Motionsoft.net. We've been speaking with Al Nashirvani, who's the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Motionsoft here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name and organization is? Larry Greyer with Veterans Moving Forward. And what's your role in the organization, Larry? I'm the general counsel for the organization, and I'm also on the board of directors. And why does this organization appeal to you? Why are you spending time with this organization? It's an amazing organization that provides veterans service dogs at no cost to the vet. It provides, give me that again. Sure. Um, a vet that has a disability um, will need a, or may need a service dog to help with the disability. Yeah. It could be a physical disability, it could be a mental disability, uh-huh. but Veterans Moving Forward matches that vet with a specific dog that can help uh, alleviate whatever the causes of the disability are. So where's the money come from to fund all this? It's all contributions. And your role, in, you're an attorney, and what's your role in this organization? Sure, I'm the general counsel for the organization. So it's interesting that this really appeals to this really, why, why does this appeal to you so, so greatly? Why are you spending your time doing this? It's just an amazing cause. Actually, didn't you mention earlier that you, that you, when you were a kid, you had a dog and you had a bunch of pets when you were a kid? Is it because you realized the value of companionship? Well, without a doubt, I've always had pets around me. We at home right now, we currently foster several dogs. So dogs are very near and dear to me. Also helping veterans is just an amazing opportunity. No wonder this is so appealing to you. You're providing the bridge between the veterans that need the companionship and the companion animals, the companion pets, dogs. Absolutely. Uh huh. So this really tugs at your heartstrings, doesn't it? It's very satisfying. It's very satisfying Absolutely. to you. What, what's the website address of this organization? Sure. It is vetsfwd, that's V-E-T-S-F-W-D dot org. Let me have that one more time. V-E-T-S-F-W-D dot org. And the name of the organization one last time? Veterans Moving Forward. And your name again is? Larry Greyer. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're yeah. the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers, it's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. And mm-hmm. next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtechconference.org. Org. And the name of the organization again is? A Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen. Matt, what is Transit Screen? What are you guys doing? 
We provide software uh, that has live information about all kinds of transportation. So it's uh, metro, bus, Uber, bikes, scooters, you name it. If you see us screen in the lobby of a building that has that information, that's us. Wow. Uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin until I was 11, then moved to Chicago. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? Younger sister and a younger brother. Uh-huh. So what was the effect of this move uh, when you were a kid? Ultimately, it opened up a lot of opportunities. Uh, I moved to a, a, a city and a, a high school that had a lot of different extracurriculars I could get involved in. I had people I was doing computer stuff with. I joined Boy Scouts, got involved in debate, and traveled nationally at a pretty young age in high school. Wait a minute. All right. This is sort of How young were you when you started coming up with ideas? Uh, probably when I was, you know, six or, or seven, I was playing with computers, uh, writing software on computers. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, just kind of r- discovering things for the first time that were new to me that, that maybe people had seen before. But, you know, I had an adventure game. I wanted a monster to appear there, figured it out. And it was just, you know, glorious. How, how did it make you feel when you came up with an idea and you made it happen? You know, that's the kind of thing where you kind of you, you almost want to walk away from the keyboard and say, you know, this this really feels nice. Uh, what's that have to do with your uh, with your building this thing called Transit Screen? Well, the Transit Screen was always something I was interested in, transportation, helping people get around. Um, I, I used to travel. Uh, I was a Ph.D. student, got a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and I was coming back from the lab late at night. I just wanted something to tell me where to go to take the bus and when the bus was coming. And so when I realized that the technology was all there to bring that information together and this was something that, that I could use myself, it really um, it, it gave me passion to deliver it to others. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that Transit Screen is the one place that I can look where it tells me the best way to get from here to there. That's right, and, and the right time to leave and, and all your options, where, what, and uh, when. What a pleasure. Uh, let's see. Who's got the next question here? I think uh, Daniel. Yeah, so Matt, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about you know, the, the childhood friends that you had when you, when you moved. Uh, what, what kind of a, a role were you taking in that, in that group, and, and what were you guys doing together? Yeah, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, on, on computers, uh, doing some minorly hacking with computers and, and playing games and, you know, writing software. Um, you know, I was always one of the people kind of bringing new ideas and new technology to, to the group. I had, you know, a, a Commodore Amiga, which was this cutting edge thing for, you know, uh, uh, gaming and programming. And I, I was always the one bringing out some of the, the newest stuff to, to them. Yeah, so you didn't know it at the time, but you were really prepping for, for transit screen back when you were a kid and, and kind of talking with all your buddies. Yeah, it was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I, one of my roles is kind of to be product visionary and, and see what the next thing is. Not all my ideas are great ideas, but, uh, you know, some of them were. Uh, well, one of them was at least. <laughs> More? So, uh, yeah, you had a productive childhood. Um, what kind of books or media did you consume? Uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I read some fantasy science fiction. Lord of the Rings was, was my favorite there. Uh, I read some literary fiction. Uh, Hemingway, Farewell to Arms, another, another good one for me. Is there any character or, or event that you sort of carry with you over time? For sure. I mean, I, I always identified with these uh, these heroic quest type stories, right? Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell type stories, uh, Star Wars and the like. Uh, Frodo Baggins, clearly, and uh, Robert Jordan in, in uh, Farewell to Arms. You know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, for whom the bell tolls. It doesn't always end up in the in the, in the mm-hmm. you know uh, winning, but gotcha. uh, you end up with a situation where Andrew, yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, who your biggest influence was, mom or dad. Uh, probably my dad. Uh, he was a professor of business. Uh, we uh, we did a lot of stuff together. We used to play chess at, at night. Uh, he uh, really gave me my first job when we were parking cars for Big Ten football games. People would drive in and we'd fill up the parking lot, take the money, and then uh, buy scalp tickets and go to the game. And so you learned a little bit of uh, business savvy from dad and uh, some creativity as well. Uh, for sure. We had to be a little bit creative, uh, you know, with the pricing, with uh, how far away we were from the stadium, with whether we were going to park people in or not after the game. We were a little creative. Mm-hmm. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned your father was a uh, professor. Do you still, do you, did that make you feel um, academic pressure? Do you, do you still feel that pressure? Uh, I think I always thought that I was going to be a professor, uh, you know, a, a scientist, a physicist, or a neuroscientist before I took the turn into uh, technology. A lot of that pressure, uh, you know, indirectly probably came from my father. It was, some of it was uh, very, you know, self-applied at an early age as well. Mm-hmm. Alex? What impact did mom have in those 8 to 14? 
Uh, my mom had a lot of impact. She was a uh, Spanish teacher, and she quit to, to raise uh, me and my siblings. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom is a, uh, a good listener, and um, she has a style where she really relates to people um, and, and, and builds rapport. Um, that's probably more my leadership style than, than my dad. My dad's a big talker. He likes to fill the room. So how are you applying today what you learned from mom? I think, um, you know, being able to really sit down with someone and understand what their motivations are, what their issues are, what they're going through, um, you know, being able to empathize with them in the moment. I think that's something that I learned from my mom. Now, in the dream, you talked about how she would take you to all these different activities. When you got to high school, um, at what point did the activities start to uh, pressure you or get overwhelming? I never really felt pressured by them. Um, one of the, the first things that happened to me in high school was I was, uh, I was a freshman. I was taking uh, advanced placement calculus. I got a D minus my first quarter. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, I was 13 years old. It was, it was a lot to take on. I was also playing football at the time and had no you know, energy. So that kind of put me on a path where I was never going to be valedictorian of my school. And that took a lot of pressure off to just be a pure academic success. That meant I could concentrate on the things I thought were, were really interesting, whether it was debate or um, uh, quiz bowl or, or other competitions. Um, I was always very competitive. Andrew? So uh, going back to your move and, and bringing it to transit screen, uh, when you moved to Chicago, did you ever feel like an outsider? For sure, it was a, a big social adjustment for me to go through that. Um, you know, I managed to, to find some groups uh, that were doing activities that I, I cared about, but uh, it definitely uh, forced me to kind of readjust and reintegrate. So yeah, you, th you said earlier that uh, Transit Screen was born out of uh, grad school or, or, or college when you couldn't find your way. I, I might argue that you needed to find your way at age 11, right? Mm -hmm. You could say that. And also moving to a city that had uh, had public transit that uh, was That's a disaster right. at the time, but has gotten a lot better since then, uh, made a difference to, to my awareness of, of all these options. Yeah. Mark, do you have a question there? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what, what does your family think of you now? Um, I'm definitely, uh, you know, the older brother. I'm the role model for, for uh, to some extent, to my, my younger brother. He actually was around when I started the company. He was kind of our communications intern and, and helped a lot out uh, just uh, pro bono. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I still have that role in, in the family. Mm -hmm. But cool. you shared an interesting view in the green room about role models and growing up. Can you explain a little? Yeah, you know, I, I would never, um, you know, discourage people from having role models or, or mentors if they if they want to have them. I just never personally felt the need to have a really strong, you know, role model or a mentor. I always saw people, saw adults more as peers as I was growing up, perhaps because I was advanced in a lot of these ways, math and science and so on. And, um, you know, I think you can you can succeed without having to have well, mentors. You assembled, you assembled a lot of different, you assimilated a lot of different activity, extracurricular activities and adults into your life. So you pick and chose from a bunch of mentors, it sounds like. For sure. And I learned a lot from a lot of teachers along the way. I don't want to say, you know, I, I, I wasn't paying attention, but but I don't think you need to have a singular mentor. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned uh, your, your father being a professor. Did you ever attend his classes? And what, what did you take away from his style and, and what you learned from him? Uh, my dad was a business professor. I, I actually kind of steered away from business, as, as, as I mentioned, towards uh, science and other things. Um, but, you know, he, he's a great improviser and, and extemporizer. And just being able to kind of flow, that was one of the things when I was debating, that was one of the things I was very good at. And I think I learned that from him. Well, what's that have to do with uh, being the CEO of Transit Screen, this flowing thing? Well, uh, transit screen is all about maintaining a flow state when you're traveling. But, um, you know, I think more generally, uh, you have to be able to, to, you know, pitch people, to engage people, um, you know, just like we're talking right now. And it didn't come naturally to me. And, and that was something I had to learn. Well, it sounds to me like you also had a diversity of interests as a kid, which is uh, important as a CEO of an organization, especially where you're integrating all this information. It sounds like you were integrating a lot of information back when you were a kid. Same thing you're doing nowadays. Uh, yeah, I think that's one one of my many jobs as a CEO is to be able to, you know, be the, the nervous system of the organization to take that information in and, and route it to the right person without, you know, causing a whole uh, 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 gridlock. What's the website address of Transit Screen? TransitScreen.com. Let me have that one more time. TransitScreen.com. And we've been speaking with Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, our executive leaders radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. One help building your business with help from this show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, 
help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, wh what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Wh what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business. And at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well, you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Bonnie Sewell, founder of American Capital Planning. Bonnie, what is American Capital Planning? What are you doing? We're a female-owned, fee-only wealth management firm with a niche in divorce financial planning. Hmm, interesting. And uh, where are you from originally? Chicago, a little town 15 miles southwest, Hinsdale, Illinois. Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters? Older brother, younger sister. Older brother, younger sister. And what happened when you were about nine years old? My dad left the house with his paycheck and pension, and my parents got divorced a few years later. Wait, wait, wait. When, when this happened, were you aware of what was going on? I was aware that things were changing, and, and we were going from sort of one economic status to another. But I guess as a kid, we were just suddenly broke. How, how did you know that? How was that showing up? <laughs> the answer to everything was, we don't have enough money for that. Um, so that was different. Mm -hmm. So you were, and you're the, uh, you have an older, so you're the middle child, huh? Mm -hmm. And this is going on in the family, and you're aware that uh, there's not enough money. All right, Jim, what do you, what do you, what do you So, Bonnie, what type of activities were you involved in as a youth? We did a lot of sports in Illinois at the time, so five days gym required in school. That was my favorite subject, as it turns out. But, um, you know, so I was involved in a lot of uh, running around and kid stuff, read constantly because um, libraries were a big part of our community life and school, and just worked. What type of books did you read? Beverly Clearly, uh, also pretty much everything that was available. Voracious reading. It was. I was a slow reader at first, and then just it, like eating, just couldn't now get enough. Is that a, a passion that you still carry with you today? It is. I'm often in about five books at once, and that's a comfortable place for me to be. And how does that impact your work? I think that when I don't know, know something, I still go to books to find my answers, and they provide them. Now, you mentioned you were also working at a pretty young age. I was. I started babysitting around age 10, 
and it was the 70s, so my mom tucked us into her work at the hotel uh, a little earlier than maybe we should have been. Uh, they didn't check a lot of things, so I started waitressing around age 12. So, wow, so you were working at the hotel at 10, and then are you were Babysitting working, at 10. Babysitting at 10, working at the hotel at 12. Mm-hmm. So how did that distinguish you from your friends? Well, they weren't doing the hotel stuff, and a lot of them never had to work. They were uh, very wealthy uh, people in my community for the most part. We were on the other end of that scale. And um, when I was babysitting, I babysat, for example, to, uh, for one of the heirs of the Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, Company. So I was uh, getting a bird's eye view of lifestyle that was a little different from ours. So what did that drive you to do as an adult? I wondered if anyone could do that and how they did it, and I learned that later. Mm-hmm. Paul? Um, I come from a divorced family as well, and at first it sort of feels like survival mode, but you become really resourceful. How does that piece of you help you in advising your clients? I really think that having survived my childhood the way it happened to me informs how I help other people make sure they're going to survive whatever circumstances they're facing. It's, in a way, just life. And if you're breathing, we have the resources we need. Generally, we'll find them to get through this. You mentioned um, some people say divorce can be sad, but there really are solutions, and you're helping guide them through that path. I would assume those young experiences have helped you, you know, sort of get to where you are and be able to advise uh, your clients. We're all about families going forward financially safely, and one of the fun sayings that we try to make people cheer up a little bit with if they're interested in any source of revenge is the best revenge is creating a life you love, and that's just the work you do after. Andrew? Bonnie, um, age 10, 9, that's a really tough age to go through what you went through. What's the age gap between your, your brother and sister and you? Two and a half older for brother and two and a half younger for sister. And what was your role emotionally that you played during that time for your brother and sister? Well, I was quite fond of both of them. They may have been a little less fond of me, but I was probably the negotiator, glue, uh, let's get through this together person in that trio. And what impact does that that role of glue have on your work today? Do you do any work with multi-generational families? We do. Um, All of our families that have children and adult children, uh, we know their children. That's by design because we're, you know, in spite of the fact that we work in divorce, we're all about families, however they go forward. Wait, 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 wait. You're all about divorce, but you're all about, I I don't get it. There's something special going on here. What's that special stuff that's happening here? It's a long life. If we're sitting in this room, you got a one in four chance of living to age 97. There's a lot of ways to go through life, divorced, married, maybe both. Um, we just think that however families decide to go forward, our job is to help them with the finances so everybody can live the life they want. Whoa. Gail? So <clears throat> who had the biggest influence on you uh, when you were young? Definitely my mom. She uh, was an extremely strong person and had a difficult life herself. Uh, she's gone a long time now, massive stroke at 57. My grandmother, my dad's mom, is another big influence. She was a businesswoman and business owner when she was married. Her uh, husband passed, and then she became an accountant. So did this help um, pique your interest in business and um, mm-hmm. help you get started in business, thinking about um Business. It did. Both women seem to get energy from working, and I do too. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on for a minute here. You get energy from working. I thought I thought work sucks energy. You're telling me it generates energy. What are you talking about here? Some days it does, uh-huh. but on the days it doesn't, it um, is the reason I get up in the morning. It's a lot of fun. It's one of the things I'm good at. So sometimes when you have a childhood like mine, you get really good at work. What 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 what's fun for you? Solving the problems that people present. So you're telling me the stuff that you went through as a kid, that's what, you're, that's what you enjoy helping other folks with? Yes. So do I need a lot of money to get through a divorce? No. You need a lot of discipline and sleep. You need to take care of yourself. And it, it's really a phenomenon, right? If you're going through divorce, there's a real thing called divorce fog. We're trying to clear that fog for you so you can think, make good decisions. Wait a minute. So it sounds to me like you you really understand divorce and you really understand finance in divorce. So you're like a finance divorce counselor. 
I suppose we do fill a counseling role, although we'd prefer people pay their therapists well for that. But our job is, to, because money doesn't know or care who owns it. So our job is to help people understand you can have money too without impoverishing the other people in your family. All right, give me that one again. I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. So think of a a pebble on a pond. When you impoverish one parent in a divorce, it has ripple effects that go beyond just that immediate family. Uh, Wait a minute. I thought when you're going through a divorce, you should try to get whatever you can get. I think that's bad practice. I think that um, that doesn't help families. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm talking about could we just change divorce? It's so solvable. What do you mean? Well, for example... um, if, you, if, if there's enough money inside the household and we get a great division where both people are able to pay their bills and have a foundation on which to build afterwards, then when that gal is 73, we won't all pay her bills, which is our current situation because there was enough in the marital estate, but we didn't split it correctly. Uh-huh. John? So how fair is it to say that good things can come from divorce? It's really fair. It's a life change. It's a really tough one. Totally survivable. It's the way you approach it, I think. How many kids do you have? I have two, two sons. And how do you help them think about these topics? Well, they're 35 and 33 today. They were in their early 20s when this happened. I'd love to say I handled it perfectly. I didn't. I'm a human. Even with all I know, I didn't. They healed. We're all doing fine. One has chosen a great partner. The other one is still very single. Mm-hmm. You said you have two kids. You also said you played a pretty significant role in another family member's life. Tell us about that. My niece, Heather, is my, my dear, dear niece, uh, the daughter I never had. Her mom passed early, so she spent significant time with me. And I'm proud to say today she's a designer at Herman Miller. Mm-hmm. Paul, Andrew, what do you guys, Jim, what do you guys got? So you, you clearly have had strong women in your uh, life. How do you uh, carry that forward? I think that it's helpful to talk to girls as young as four to help them understand the economic world they face. And since they're still the only ones that can have kids, they need to think about how they marry and the cost if they stay out of the workforce. So we're always just talking to women about the choices that they have and the economic impact of those choices. Wow, you really take a big picture approach toward it, a very positive approach toward toward life and toward finance. Uh, Bonnie, what's the website address for American Capital Planning? AmericanCapitalPlanning.com. Let me have that one more time, please. AmericanCapitalPlanning.com. We've been speaking with Bonnie Sewell, who's the founder of American Capital Planning here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, it's ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment right after this break. I'm Tina Leandi. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, th- your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, bostonbid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more bostonbid.com. time. Bostonbid.com. 
It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight. Back in a moment. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Balsam Business Improvement District. And what is the Balsam Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Balsam is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why, why'd you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that uh, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, it's balsambid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more balsambid.com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Heather Nickerson, CFO of Red 5 Security. Heather, what is Red 5 Security? What are you guys doing? We are a security company that focuses on privacy, resiliency, and security. We ensure bad things don't happen to good people. And what? who are your typical customers? Is it corporations? Is it well-to-do families? We work primarily with private families, family offices, and Fortune 100 corporations. Mm. All right. The well-to-do, in other words. All right. Where are you from originally? Born and raised Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters? I'm the oldest of four. You're the oldest of four, and some interesting stuff uh, was going on with your family when you were a kid. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, my family was one of the founding families of Cape Cod. Um, at the same time, my mother was a functional, but also a verbally abusive alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And you were the oldest of four, 
with three younger brothers. Okay, Andrew? Heather, uh, with this, the legacy of this family and founding family of Cape Cod, what did dad and mom expect from you different from your brothers? My mother had very clear expectations. I was to be the quote unquote good girl. Um, I, however, was very much tomboy. What did that mean, good girl? Um, I was to be polite and smile and do as I was told. Um, She had an image of later on in life, a white picket fence, being married to a doctor or a lawyer and raising children with a golden retriever in the front yard. So there's a real conflict uh, uh, from an early age of of who you felt you were versus who you were expected to be. Yes. Mm -hmm. Paul? Was there a lot of pressure um, being a Nickerson? Uh, There was a lot of pressure. Um, I received my license and car keys at age 16 along with a long discussion of how um, I had to uphold the family name and not do anything to embarrass the family. Did you ever wish your last name wasn't Nickerson? (laughs) Most days I did, yes. I, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier a little bit about tomboyish in appearance, and I think you had mentioned your siblings are all brothers. Uh, How has that helped you today stand out as a woman in your career? I think the first thing that's helped me with it is that I've never really thought of myself as any different of any of the boys. Um, I've never thought that, oh, I'm female and I can't do this. Uh, My father had very clear expectations that all of us were going to do the same exact things, regardless male or female. So we all got up at 5.30 in the morning to go chop wood. Did not matter that I was not, you know, as strong or as physically um, large as they were, but I still had the same expectations. Mm -hmm. So I think now in life, it's very much of a, I don't think twice about it. Jim? So you mentioned uh, earlier that you were uh, the most entrepreneurial of your three uh, of your siblings. What does that look like? Uh, so for me, that looked like when I was ten, starting to babysit, uh, mainly to get out of the house, but also very quickly learned that with earning money came independence. So we, it sounds like your family had a fair amount of money. Why were you spending time working? Uh, because I wanted to be able to do uh, things that I wanted to do and not have it held over my head and not to be told you can't do this. So once I started earning my own money, I could, you know, go buy the skateboard or go buy the baseball bat, um, things that I wanted that weren't necessarily exactly girl-like. And what type of jobs were you doing? Um, I was babysitting. I then started a tutoring company at age 13. Um, I was very gifted in math. I was taking high school math courses in the sixth grade. I started tutoring elementary school, then junior high students. Uh, once I took my SATs, I morphed the tutoring company into an SAT tutoring company. Um, I received excellent scores in the SATs and very quickly had a long line of parents looking for me to tutor their children in PSATs and SATs. So you were not only helping people learn, but also making a business out of that. How do you bring that to what you're doing today? I think a big part of what I'm doing today is I am CFO, but also EVP, and we're a small company, so always evolving, always thinking of what's next on the horizon, um, thinking through how can we help people, but give them a tremendous value add at the same time. Yeah, earlier you were talking about how you morphed the tutoring business, and it sounds like that's what you're doing in your role as CFO with this organization known as Red 5 Security. You're morphing it. Am I correct? Is it? clear characteristic there? That is correct. Um, I recognized early on that tutoring I could charge more if I tutored for SATs versus just regular math. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a good transition there. Mm -hmm. With regards to Red 5, over the years we've we've morphed. We've changed from focusing on a lot of physical security, guards, gates, and guns, um, looking at now really focusing on privacy and helping families understand the totality of what that means, physical, digital, uh, working with legal, and also training and education. Bonnie, didn't you have some sort of an instinct regarding who Heather really is? Heather, when people see you and they don't know the things that we're learning about you today, do they tend to underestimate you? They usually do. Um, I'm usually considered the underdog. Um, I uh, give off the appearance of, again, that typical very sweet, charming girl. I'm soft-spoken. But there's a there's a fighter inside. I'm very driven, very tenacious. Um, my business partner jokes I may be the bulldog at times. Mm-hmm. John? So where does that come from? Uh, I think that comes from my early childhood Um, with my mother is very difficult in the house and I learned very quickly that I had to read people to know exactly what mood she was in because I have to determine how we were treated. Um, I then learned that to take care of myself very early on and that no one else is going to do that for me. So that keen observational sense or ability 
How did that translate into, you know, when's the first time as a kid you really tried to understand some really complex system or thing? As I was very curious as a child, I clearly remember taking apart a, I think it was a TI-81, but it was a graphing calculator. I was, I think, in seventh grade. Um, my mother saw me do that and told me immediately, girls don't do that. And then she told me I'd have to do chores around the house to pay it back, at which point I pulled out, I think it was 80 or $90 and said, oh, here's the money. So how did that intellectual curiosity, how did that affect your career later? Um, like I said, I've always been very curious and I think just always asking questions um, and trying to understand not what may be the first problem at, that presents, but what is really behind that, what's causing that, what's driving that. How do we get to the root of the issue? Because if so, we can solve the root, we can have um, greater value and greater success with the clients. So how did that help you as an uh, intelligence analyst at the CIA? Again, it was always asking the right questions and uh, not being afraid to ask the questions and also not being afraid that there may not be an obvious answer. Andrew? Heather, in the green room, we, uh, we're talking about uh, this, this skill um, of having to, that you had to learn of who you could trust and who you couldn't. Where did, uh, where did that come from? Do you, what was the first experience that you had with that? Yeah, a very memorable first experience was I was in uh, six or seven years old, I think kindergarten, and I had a friend come over for the afternoon, and my mother had a very bad episode, and she went back to school uh, after the weekend and told everyone in class what happened. What did you learn from that? Um, I learned not to trust. And how does that translate into Red 5 is one of the preeminent names in their space. Uh, how, did, how does that translate in your daily? Well, I think all of us at Red 5, our backgrounds are former um, agency, former FBI. I think we verify then trust. And we also keep in, in great secrecy and confidentiality all of our clients and what we do for them. So mm -hmm. there's a level of trust there with them. Gail? Um, you mentioned to us uh, in the green room that you were involved in sports. Um, were you involved in some sports that maybe uh, some women don't necessarily think of? Or? So I was a um, competitive skier, sailor, and rower. I also, in younger years, did softball. And did this all help you um, develop the tough skin that you seem to have and help with your uh, in, in business? I think so. In skiing in particular, it's you literally have to pick yourself up off the ground, get back up, and go back down that hill. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned you had some interesting jobs that you you held before um, when you were in your younger days. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So I was a babysitter, a tutor, but also a bartender. And it wasn't just bartending in a bar. It was bartending on a boat. So literally having to be on your toes, both with the customers and the waves. So and so, what did you learn from that that helps you today? I think a common thread across all of those is, again, reading people, um, being very creative, thinking outside the box, uh, being constantly on your toes with a new solution or a new idea. Um, and today that translates into, at Red 5, thinking creatively, um, helping our clients see mm -hmm. what may not be obvious. Paul? A little bit of your childhood sounds like mine, rigid. I keep hearing the word expectations and a lack of a voice in the household. How have you taken that today to your um, employees and allowing them to have a voice at your firm? I think I understood early on that there's always two sides to any story and appearances may not be what they seem. So in uh, interacting with employees, I always want to ask them, how did we get here? Like, why are we here and how did we get here? What is mm -hmm. your side of the story? What is the website address for Red 5 Security? It is red5security.com. That's red, then the number five, then security? Correct. Dot com. We've been speaking with Heather Nickerson, CFO of Red 5 Security, here on Executive Leaders Radio. John, can you please give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of hanging out with today? Sure, Herb. Our first guest was Al Nashivarni, co-founder and chief strategy officer of MotionSoft. Then we spoke with Matt Kaywood, the CEO of Transit Screen. Our third guest was Bonnie Sewell, founder of American Capital Planning, and we just talked to Heather Nickerson, the CFO of Red 5 Security. I would like to thank my co-hosts, including Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Paul Graham, Cressa, Gail Chambers, Holmes, Lowry Horn Johnson, and John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching, for giving me a hand. Structuring the questions, hopefully providing our listening audience with an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our uh, audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders, executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, and thank you for joining us today, and have a nice day. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.